Hello and welcome to the Principal Real Estate Income uh, podcast. This is the second podcast that we've we've done of this nature. My name is Rob McClure. I'm Director of Research for SS&C Alps Advisors. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be joined today by a couple of great guests. First of all, we've got Mark Peterson, who is Chief Investment Officer, CMBS at Principal Real Estate Investors. He's also the portfolio manager for the Principal Real Estate Income Fund. Welcome, Mark. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Rob. Thanks. And I'm also, um, we've also got one of my um, good friends and colleagues, Chris Proctor, who's our chief fixed income strategist here at SSNC Alps Advisors. Um, and we were lucky enough to catch Chris before he, he heads off to sunny California for the weekend. So, the, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Rob, and great to be be here with Mark too. Okay, great. So let's get let's just get started. Obviously, there's a there's a lot going on in financial markets these days. Uh, we've all seen what's been going on with some of the volatility um, in the banking sector. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions about commercial real estate, in particular, uh, the office sector of of commercial real estate and uh, I thought it'd be great to get us all together and, and get Mark's thoughts on you know, what he's seeing in the commercial mortgage-backed security market. Um, and, you know, Mark, just to, to kick us off here, obviously there's a lot of volatility in the market. Um, you know, CMBS, while it's a relatively small proportion of total commercial real estate, uh, it is it does give us some some good indications on on what's going on from an underlying standpoint in in that market. Um, so I just thought maybe we could just kick it off with with getting your thoughts on, you know, is the is the market for CMBS functioning well right now? Are you are you you know seeing liquidity in the market uh, that sort of thing? So maybe just some thoughts around that. Sure. Yeah, I think you know. In general, we would say today the market is is functioning um, relatively well, given given the backdrop of volatility and and what we've seen over the last few weeks. Um, I say if you go back to the the days after the you know the the banking crisis started, so when the three regional banks failed, um, we did see liquidity you know become more difficult as um, as investors were trying to figure out what. What was going on in the banks? What was the contagion to other banks? Um, and we did see spreads widen kind of in that uh, during that period. But since then, over the last couple of weeks, we have seen the market firm up. Um, we've seen spreads, especially AAA spreads, tighten. Uh, we've actually seen credit spreads tighten. So kind of settling back in um, after this, this after we've gotten through this crisis. So when I and when I say functioning. Um, there's a very active secondary market. So we've seen bonds trading in the secondary market uh, from triple A's down through. There was a large triple B minus list yesterday where, where a few bonds did trade off trade off of that list. Um, so there is renewed demand. Um, we're seeing reverse inquiry uh, picking up uh, from the market just looking for bonds, which is a good sign. Um, I think the, the, ones, the one part of the market that has, has struggled is new issue. So issuance volumes are way down from where we were a year ago, and it, it really just uh, just highlights the fact that you know there are a lot of loans being made today, and and that reflects the lack of transaction volume on the equity side. This uh, the kind of the headline, you know, the 
sticker shock of borrowers with higher rates. Uh, so we have seen um, issuance really slowing down. With the one new uh, uh, product that that has been available to the market has been has been five year new issuance, which we have not ever we have not seen. Um, so saying really that the, looking at that the borrowers are looking for shorter uh, shorter terms, and so we've seen two almost billion dollar pools of five year loans, which we have not seen before. So that's a, I think a good sign in that the CMS market is being able to uh, kind of transform into what where you know where we're seeing demand for for loans and, and issue those bonds. So I will say that's been good. But in general, that new issue market needs to you know we were looking for this to pick up in the second half in order to really feel like the market is functioning. Thanks, Mark. That's a that's that's a great starting point. I, I think Chris had some questions for you. Just as a follow up to that, for for those of us that might not be as familiar with the CMBS market. Yeah. Hi, Mark. Um, good morning. You know, uh, we're often asked from investors what you know commercial mortgage backed securities are, um, and maybe I don't give them the best answer, but we have you on the line here, so. Could you give us a, you know, maybe a quick overview of of how they're structured um, for income investors? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good morning, Chris. Yeah. So, um, so talking specifically about conduit CMBS. So these are multi-loan pools, um, static pools of first mortgages uh, that um, that would that are diversified by property type and, and geographic location. So, it, in on average, these pools have been roughly 50 loans. So. That is the when those when that when those pool when that pool is issued that is the security for the bonds. Um, so then the process the rating agencies then go in given the pool of loans and structure the you know the CMBS bonds um, based on their their models and perceived risk. So what they're doing is creating uh, you know say it's a billion dollar pool they're creating uh, a triple A double A single A triple B minus uh, below investor grade type bonds. Um, uh, tranching out that risk and and really how we define that risk is by credit enhancement or subordination so each class has ha, it has um other than the first loss has have bonds that are junior to those classes for loss and so describing the super senior triple a which is the highest uh, most secure bond in the structure has 30 percent credit enhancement so there's 30 percent of the bonds junior to that class to absorb loss or said another way, the, the the underlying pool of loans would have to experience a realized cumulative loss of 30% to get, you know, before that, before the super senior AAA is, is, is exposed to loss. Um, and, and the way the payment, the waterfall works is all principal payments come in uh, that come in from the loans pay down the most senior class first and, and, make, and then down the structure. And then if there are defaults, loan defaults and losses, those losses are written off the bottom, the most junior class. Um, and so ultimately for each class, it's, it's a question of for the next 10 years, you know, what is the loss experience from the pool and how does that compare to the subordination uh, for a given bond? As far as, you know, does that bond get paid uh, principal back or not? Is, you know, recover full principal. So basically that's the structure. Um, you know, these are static pools uh and and i think you, know, you think about geographic and and property type diversity that's all to the benefit of the structure um one one i guess if you think about at the bottom so there is a bps buyer there is a buyer of the most junior classes very you know typically uh real estate specialist um 
that are that that are taking that first loss risk. Um, and so that buyer is when the pool is being formed, that buyer is able to kick out loans. So if an issuer, say an issuer sends over a pool of 60 loans, um, the VP's buyer has the, op- the opportunity to remove some of those loans if they don't fit uh, uh, from a risk perspective. So that 60 loan pool may be whittled down to this to the 50 loan pool, the, the pool that's finally issued. So you do have this relationship between the investor grade buyers and the BP buyer. Um, and that relationship is, is very strong today, given regulatory changes since the GFC. Uh, so through Dodd-Frank, um, that BP buyer has to hold the, their bonds for, for 10 years. Um, they cannot finance that position. So there is a pretty direct alignment there. But but in general, it's it's, it's the risk of the loans versus your subordination in the bonds that you're really t- having to consider when you're when you're buying CMBS. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it sounds like there's a, you know, they're typically pretty well diversified and there's a flavor for, you know, each investor's sort of risk appetite along the capital structure. Um, are there yeah. any other, you know, advantages to this type of, you know, CMBS conduit investing versus just you know, direct own the building yourself, direct real estate investing? Yeah, so there's differences depends on if you're if you're thinking about debt or equity. Obviously, as an equity investor in real estate, um, you do, I mean, you're you are exposed to changes in market value. So you think about what's happened here in this higher interest rate environment with cap rates moving higher. Equity owners of equity real estate are, you know, directly impacted by the the values of these properties uh, in in general going down uh, from a return perspective. Um, so it is that exposure. Uh, and then on the direct lending side, obviously you have uh, those lenders have exposure to that first loss. So if you do have a loan default in in a in a private loan portfolio, you're going to absorb you're going to take that loss if a loan does default. So the, the advantage of the structure in CMBS is you have protection from those first losses. So you so if you own the AAA class and and there are bonds defaulting in the pool, those losses are absorbed by the most junior classes. You do not see any impact on your uh, on your uh, on your holding even though there are defaults and stress uh, occurring in the pool so again and then it's just where you want to be in the structure so obviously as you move down the structure you're, you're closer to those losses and and the and the market can price that a lot differently uh, given a, a pool's experience but but the, it is really that structure um that that really benefits uh, a CMBS holder versus especially on the direct lending side. If you're making loans versus versus owning CMBS along with liquidity. So owning that owning a portfolio of CMBS bonds provides liquidity so you can actively manage risk. Um, you can increase you know, if you, if you want to go risk on, you can do that very quickly. We're in a private loan por- uh, portfolio. It's very difficult to do that. Right. It, it, you, you have very little liquidity. If you are seeing opportunities. You know, you can't put that on immediately, given having to build a pipeline, those sort of things. So the efficiency, the the time to market, um, if there are opportunities in the real in real estate on the debt side is, you know, CMBS is much more efficient as far as being able to take advantage of those opportunities. Perfect, Mark. Thanks. Um, let's go ahead and just pivot to what we've been, you know, hearing about kind of in the news right now about, you know, the office a specific specifically the office market. Um, is there a typical exposure to, I guess, office properties in these conduits or do they vary or? 
Uh, they do vary, and we've seen Office become less um, less a part of pools recently as the market has been much more sensitive to that risk. Um, but in general, uh, Office exposures range from 25 to 30 percent. Um, you know, right now, when I look at the universe, uh, it, you know, it's roughly 29 percent of of the of the of the 2.0 post GFC universes in Office. Um, so it is a major uh, property type within the uh, within the structure. Um, and one thing I didn't mention uh, when you talk about, you know, just what is CMBS, um, you, the way the loans are being underwritten today uh, is much more conservative than where things were obviously pre-GFC. But but these are typically 55 percent loan to value loans um, with a debt service coverage well over two times. Uh, that's been on average the profile of the CMBS um, uh, portfolio or CMBS issuance you know, for the last probably six, seven years. Um, so you do have a conservative, um, you know, kind of entry point or starting point when you start to think about volatility and, and, and office in particular. So if you start to mark office fundamentals down, so say, you know, if, if market vacancy has been 90 percent, I think expectations are longer term. That's probably going to 80 percent, for example, uh, just a, a permanent potential impact uh, on income. There is there has been cushion built into the underwriting for that. For the borrower to absorb that without being uh, at risk of default in general, as long as, you know, you may have a you, you could have a large tenant leave, which obviously makes a much bigger difference. But in a diversified rent roll, uh, that borrower is protected by the, the underwriting um, from a debt service coverage perspective. So and that's why you haven't seen office defa- delinquencies really increase materially um, since COVID. Uh, office has actually performed very well. And now as we go through this cycle, um, why we why expect to see income moving lower, we wouldn't expect to see office defaults spike just because of the longer term nature of leases in these in office. Um, so I think that and that's one thing the market is 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 not fully pricing in right now. The market is pricing in a material change in risk of default and loss on office um, and, re- and, and, and really in the near term. Um, which, as we see, that risk is really more more goes out longer as as these leases start to roll over the next three to five years. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I apologize. There's a uh, fire truck in the background. <laughs> um, but sticking with office. the um, that's because of office. We we're talking about office. <laughs> exactly. Trying to put out the, well, yeah, good segue. Um, you know, my next question really is: I don't know if it's the office market, but Maybe it was a different market in the past. Is there any sort of um, parallels? You mentioned the, you know, the pricing and expectations. Is there any parallels in history that, you know, you may remember regarding, you know, pricing or these property discounts or cap rates that, you know, that's that's comparable to what's going on? Yeah, that it's, it's hard because I mean, you go back to the stress of the GF, you know, post GFC and the recession that started in 2009 and. And really look at that as the the most stressed period we've seen um, in in real estate really since the you know since the early or late 80s early 90s from the SNL crisis. So so if you kind of draw that parallel, um, this is different because of rates. You know we really haven't seen CMBS or in general real estate over the last 10 years go through an up up rate environment, right? Where you've had to have loans refinancing into a much higher rate. So that is the real difference. And, and, and I know there uh, historically there have been times, obviously, in the 70s and 80s when rates you know, were dramatically higher. 
I don't know if we have you know a lot of good information on how loans performed during that period, but but that is the the difference here is this um, is this uprate environment as as borrowers look to to refi, um, and the regional and then the regional bank crisis had made has really um, made that an even bigger issue because regional banks you know provide over half of the loans to commercial real estate, um, and so if, if regional banks are forced to really tighten their lending. You know, I think there is a question of where does the capital come from, especially to, you know, when you have to refinance loans. Um, so that is this is a, a new environment from that perspective. It, it's it's this much, you know, refinancing into a higher rate environment is we knew it would be coming as the Fed came off their low, you know, uh, their low rate policy. But um, but I think it's been the the speed of the of the increase. And then now uh, with the regional banks is, you know, where is the capital going to come from? Um, but I, I can, you know, as an example, I can point to office. So if, if refinancing is the real risk um, in the market, if, if I look at the again, the, the 2.0 universe, um, less than 8 percent of the office loans in the universe are maturing in the next 12 months. So you really you really start to bifurcate between risks. Is it is it refinance risk um, or is it term risk? So the term default risk. But, you know, where a loan defaults prior to maturity is really due to tenants leaving, income dropping and the borrower, you know, being underwater. Um, but I, I do think the real risk right now is really focused on refinance, you know, on refi. And and for the most part, that is pretty well diversified over the next five to six years. Um, so, uh, for example, office is less than eight percent in, in the next 12 months. Then it goes to 20 percent um, out two years and then 22 percent. Or uh, twenty, you know, twenty five percent by um, that would be in two thousand twenty six. So there is the kind of this rolling risk, but at least in the near term, there is not a big refinance. Pre- there's not a lot of refinance pressure on the CMBS market, but there will be across banks. So obviously the banks have a you know non CMBS loans, but there's a lot of real estate debt that is coming due, which can have an impact on values. And but from a real risk perspective within CMBS. We don't have that real refinance exposure other than retail. So uh, just under 20 percent of retail loans uh, do uh, are up for refinance in the next 12 months. A lot of that is concentrated in the 2012 and 2013 vintage um, regional malls. And so that is the one real point of of, of risk here. And, and, and in general, we've seen uh, these performing the performing mall loans getting getting extended as they've come due. So. Not really seeing defaults and losses, but but I think from the market's perspective, it, it, it's extrapolating beyond the next 12 months for sure, just given where spreads are and prices, to continued refi risk and especially an office going out the next two or three years, which tells you you know how deep the, the concern is about office in general, but also the capital being available to to recapitalize those loans. Hey, thanks, Mark. Um... Yeah, I just have one more final question. It, I mean, it sounds like the market is adjusting to higher rates. There, there is a little bit of time, you know, for that process to unfold. But I'm guessing you think it's helpful if for the market if if we are indeed near sort of the end of the Fed rate hike cycle. Yeah, no, that would okay. be helpful. That'd be helpful. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, the last question is, I mean, as one of the largest global real estate managers in the world. Um, you know, I know Principal has boots on the ground um, in many locations. Um, have, have you done any deep dives into any any of these select markets across the country? And is there any 
sort of conclusions that you, that you can share from your research? Yeah, yeah, we have. So, you know, going back to you think about specific markets, we we spent a lot of time in Houston a few years ago as as energy became a you know real energy companies became more of a concern from a leasing perspective. Um, we, we spent a lot of time in Chicago where we where we've seen a couple of high profile defaults on office um, uh, downtown Chicago, um, and and spent a lot of time in New York. Uh, just given the office, especially office exposure in, in New York City, being the largest property type um, MSA exposure in, in the in the market. Um, but recently, we've we've spent a lot of time in on the West Coast, uh, or in general with tech. So looking at markets that have exposure to large tech tenants. So uh, Google, Facebook, Apple, um, they've all been big lease. You know, they've leased a lot of space in in San Francisco, in New York, Seattle. Um, with Amazon. Um, and, and so those are the markets we spent a lot of time in uh, just recently and, and being able to sit down with our underwriter in that market to understand what's going on from a, from a real risk perspective. Um, so the pressure there is real. I mean, San Francisco vacancies are, you know, north of or available space is north of 20, you know, 20% today. And, and so you've seen a lot of tech tenants putting uh, their leases out for sub, you know, their space out for sublease, which is bringing a lot of available space to the market. And so it is a, you know, it is a really stressed period for, for office fundamentals, uh, especially in San Francisco and in Seattle. Um, so the only, I think the only caveat being that typically these tech tenants sign longer term leases. So you may have, say you may have Facebook out till 2032, but now they've put three fourths of their space out for sublease. So, you know, barring Facebook going bankrupt, they that lease will continue, you know, payments will continue to be made on those leases. Um, so, again, that, that's you asked by the difference between equity and, and debt. So on the equity side, they're going to feel that because this space availability and, and rents are going to have dramatic impact on values in those. And we've seen we've seen some properties changing hands, uh, you know, 50 percent lower than where they traded just three or four years ago. Um, and obviously that directly affects equity. But on the debt side, as long as those leases remain in place, um, you don't have a real risk of uh, near-term default, which is a, a positive for the market or for CMBS and performance. Um, so I think you know those deep dives have helped. We you know, really looking to calibrate our model to the real, you know, where we see the real risk, and that would be in leases rolling in the next two or three years. Um, and so we've identified those loans, high, you know, changed our assumptions of the model, making portfolio management decisions based off of that. So. I think that is the real risk is lease rollover and loan maturities in the next two or three years. You're really trying to manage your exposure to that as best you can. Oh, that's 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 great, Mark. We really appreciate it. And I, and I think, you know, your comments about the way you think about modeling risk, that might set us up for another discussion uh, down the road. I think uh, folks would would probably love to hear about how you think about risk and how you model that because that's obviously very important in the fixed income market. Um, but I think for now we'll leave it at there at that for now. Uh, but we really appreciate your time, Mark, and thank you, Chris, for joining us. Um, and I think it's great to be able to provide a little bit of clarity to a part of the fixed income market where folks may have may not have as much familiarity as as some of the more you know, I guess call it plain vanilla fixed income. So uh, we really appreciate that. And for those of you listening, if you want to hear more or learn more about uh, 
what the folks at Principal are up to, please uh, visit principalcef.com. Or you can always give us a call at 855-838-9485. So appreciate everybody's time. And uh, thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.